Mastery is defined as achieving the highest level of skill and knowledge in a particular field or activity. But what isn't very well known is that the mastery of anything is a journey, not a destination. My name is Jacob Panisi. I'm the fitness director at Millsaps Training Facility. I'm joined with Brian Johnson, the head trainer at Millsaps Training Facility. Together, we created this podcast to be your guide as you navigate the journey of mastering motocross. Welcome to MX Mastery. Welcome back to MX Mastery Podcast. We're joined today with Luca Marsalisi. Luca, thanks for being on the podcast with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know you, can we get just like a really quick elevator pitch of, you know, who you are, what you do, where you're from, something, you know, real short. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from Danbury, Connecticut. Um, I moved down here when I was 13 and been training with Colleen O'Brien since. Um probably i think what 10 years now yeah it's been, been a while it's been a long time but yeah i mean started riding when i was probably five years old and then kind of tar- started taking it more serious when i came down here and um started getting better obviously and that's just kind of took off kind of when i came down here yeah i actually went back on the mtf to see if i had some pictures of them i was gonna put, uh, send to you oh if you have so I, I'll, I'll post i think them. i think they're on my personal one because i went and i was like dang dude i I, was, I show you a lot of love i had to scroll scroll <laughs> like I, it, it just says post 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 but then some of them will be pictures but i got back to i don't know what it was but i didn't have the one of you on the cali i remember you had sent it to me somewhere but i think it was my personal one I'll find it though, so you can give them a little clip. Dude, of your how good would it be to have like what? How old do you think? It's it's thirteen, I think. Twenty thirteen? No, no, no. Like he was thirteen years old. Yeah, thirteen. It's probably years my old. first year here. Yeah, so, probably doesn't look. He doesn't have the, you know, uh, the beard going. It looks like a little. He kid. was a, he was a he was bigger on an eighty, you know. Yeah, a little so probably weighed about what he weighs right now. But. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all right. Um, so one of the things that I I like to remind people, um especially when we're when we're doing a podcast is we don't we have no interest in the podium voice you guys know what i'm talking about when i say like a podium voice anybody can spot a podium voice a mile away they so you're saying he had a podium voice when he first started talking he did did you hear it yeah yeah. did you hear it so when (laughs) when we were just having a conversation before we started the podcast it was you know just normal conversation and then as soon as there's you know recording and there's a microphone like you just instinctively your tone changes. You kind of look off to the distance a little bit. And <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good day for the team, and you know I just really appreciate all my sponsors and you know like the the podium voices. He has a lot of really experience with this because he took a class in college. So don't let him fool you. Imagine I did. You told me a class did, for a podcasting. No, I mean for speaking, and you had to get in front of people and talk. It was in high school. Well, whatever. High school, college. So you, you've got more experience. Yeah, you want to know what my speech was about? I had to give a, a product speech. Every speech that I gave, by the way, was about motocross somehow. And I had to do a product speech. And my product speech was a tire that had way better traction. So I like filmed myself. It was like with a video. And so I went out to my backyard and my buddies got a bunch of clips of me just like absolutely shredding. doing a burnout, shredding my backyard. <laughs> backyard tore up my dad's grass. He was pissed about it later. He didn't know I was doing it. And then I like put on a tire and I like did a wheelie with like zero wheel spin. So that was my public speaking course. I wouldn't say it was the most beneficial thing I've ever done. But I do think it's interesting because like when you when you watch people on the podium, you know, like when I was a kid watching people race, the only time you ever saw them 
talk or even the only time you ever saw him without a helmet was when they were doing like their podium interview so that was your only chance to look into who they were as a person were they funny were they personable you know things like that and now there's so much content and instagram and youtube and, and so many people make vlogs that like we know your personality already you know what i mean so like why try to hide it on a podium interview why why turn on the professionalism where people want to see some personality i think people get nervous too that you're gonna say something dumb then it's in yeah, front of everybody right? that's what Which, i was gonna talk about yeah so we all get a little bit nervous that you're going to say something that you regret and you can't take it back. So you're constantly overthinking the situation and what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, and then making sure you don't stumble on your words too much. Yeah, because it's recorded. Right? Yeah. It's, it's recorded, it's going to get clipped, and then it's going to dominate Instagram Reels for you know the next however long, week. Um, so social media probably has kind of ruined that for us, but I also think that it brings a new age of you know, hopefully transparency. And like even just talking to you, that's what you like about Adam Cincerulo is how transparent he can be, you know, and, and just being really open and honest and, and not just in social media, but now he's got a podcast and I think he's the only guy that when he's doing a podium interview, you know, he just gives it to you real. And just after listening to some of the other stuff that he's talked about, you know, on his, on his latest episode, um, you know, there's people that individually reach out and say very like hurtful, mean things, but he's so probably cause he's been through so much, but he has that mental fortitude that it, it doesn't bother him anymore, you know, and that's a powerful place to be. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think the hardest thing for you, Luca, going from an amateur to a pro has been? I mean, honestly, just the competition, like it's just like amateurs for me, at least, I mean, I guess I didn't really get like, up to the top guys and amateurs till my last two years, I would say. Um, but amateurs, you have probably, I don't know, five to 10 guys that can run that pace. And then pros, you have 15 to 20. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, everyone's just at that level. And it's a lot harder to, to, to separate from those top guys and to get to those top guys for me, at least. Um, but that's been the hardest thing for me for sure. And then sometimes you feel like you're absolutely shredding and, and then you get in and you're like, man, they're going eight seconds, nine seconds a lot faster than me. How is that even possible? Yeah. I mean, I qualified <laughs> 33rd at Thunder Valley the other weekend. So, and I felt like I was riding pretty good in qualifying. Yeah. I, I, I've been there before too. So I totally get it, you know, and that's probably the, the toughest thing when you're just like, how is that e even possible to go that fast? But you got to think even at you, where you're at, there's people that are eight seconds behind you, you know, yeah. 20 seconds behind you, you know, 30 seconds behind you. And they're like, how is that even possible? Yeah. You know, so I think it goes in every every stage or wave, you know, and, you know, wherever you're at, it just seems like that next speed is, is so, so far away. Yeah. It's a big jump. It's a bigger jump than most people realize because you you go from being arguably like the best in your class, you know, the best out of your peers to all of a sudden you're at the very bottom of the food chain again. You know, I think mentally that can be a really tough thing to overcome, especially when you don't find momentum right away. Like the first few races were kind of tough, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is my second year pro. So obviously last year was my rookie season and I had some success, but obviously not what I thought I was going to do kind of coming out of amateurs. Um, but yeah, it's definitely mentally straining, just not getting up there right away with those guys. But I mean, 
had some success this year too and whatnot, but we're building and I feel pretty good so far in outdoors right now. So, I'm, and I, I'm I think like you said, not the success that you want. And I think sometimes people discredit how hard it actually is, you know, when they are amateur, how the tracks are, how gnarly it is. You know, I always try to prepare you guys the best that I can with, you really have no idea how fast they're going, how gnarly the tracks are until you get there. You know, they come off the track and they're like, oh my God, it's so deep. I'm like, you have no idea. You know, it's just, this can be the norm, you know, and they look at me like my head's chopped off and I'm crazy and I'm just blowing a bunch of smoke. And then every time they go there, their first race, they're like, holy crap, you weren't lying, you know, and, and you'll see riders sometimes, you know, whether it's they look at your results or anybody's results and they're like, whoa, what, why is he doing so bad? He qualified, thir- like you said, 33rd when you felt like you were doing good. But people as amateurs, they look at that and be like, man, he's just, he's not yeah. doing that good, especially if you were at the, the top coming up, you know, because the tracks are so different and it's not just your, your amateur track, you know, it's riders that now are going the same speed that you were as an amateur on on a track that isn't that rough when you're going down the straightaways there's 15 ruts that are super deep and gnarly bumps and you know muddy turns and muddy straightaways and traction isn't there so it's just the variables are so much different that until you do it you kind of I would say have a lack of respect for what those guys are actually doing you know until you get in there and and do it yourself yeah for sure well, and you're not going it, to, it's tough because you can't really prepare that well, right? Because you, there's no way we can get 180 <clears throat> or however many bikes to come out here and make ruts like that and make the jump faces look like that. And like, we cannot prep the track for a couple weeks, but it still will behave differently than a pro track, right? Like, yeah, nobody, I mean, same with, same with Supercross, nobody rides a track like they race, right? You just have to be good at adjusting to it, you know? Um, you want you need a track that is somewhat rough and you know somewhat rutted and things like that but you're never going to practice on a track that is as gnarly as an outdoor every single day if anything it might make you a little bit slower i would think because it is so gnarly that you're a little bit more timid and you wouldn't feel as much speed you know so what you get at the races you just something you just have to be good at adjusting to is that what you think i mean yeah i agree like I think a lot of these pro races, especially outdoors, like the pace come moto time is way slower. Um, And then like when we ride like MTF or like Colleen's or even Star sometimes, like the track isn't as gnarly and you're going way faster for however long the moto is. And then you get to the race and you kind of have to slow down a little bit. And like Brian said, like adjust. So training at different tracks like MTF and Colleen's, I think is just better some of the time just because you work on that raw speed and uh it's just it's just different i think that was one of the biggest shockers to me like when i when i got here and everybody said like oh this this track's way faster today than than any pro national you'd ever go to and i'm like this is an amateur training facility like what what do you mean the outdoor track is meant for speed like it's a track what do you mean that it's faster than what the pros and so then i started thinking like are the pros not actually going that fast on TV? You know, like it's your, your thoughts kind of, I don't know. My thoughts were definitely all over the place after that, but obviously now being here for years, this statement makes a lot more sense that just, you can't go that fast. That's why bike setup is so important. That's why, you know, your technique and, and management of the track is more important than just raw speed sometimes. 
Yeah, and I, I would say actually we have one of the tracks that are closer to being rough like it is at an outdoor, you know, not like an outdoor but a rougher training track because we have more riders you know that's why star likes coming that's why star likes us going to their facility because we have enough riders to actually tear up the track you know get it rougher because if you have to do it over time or too long of a period what happens is the track actually dries up the ruts become hard and edgy and then it's just unrealistic you know so it almost becomes a little bit more dangerous similar to how like hangtown got you know just because it was so got so hard in the afternoon that it just becomes managed you know you have to get in manage mode and you don't want to do that every day because your risk is going to go up a lot when when, once you go to that state we've had days for sure where the track like in a day has gotten pretty similar to an outdoor national oh yeah and and usually it's when it's a little deeper to start you know but it's it's hard on the motorcycle you know so we have to take that into consideration too that we're training a lot we're riding seven eight hours a week it's a lot to maintain these motorcycles for these guys to be here year round. So we can't make it gnarly every single day because we're already putting those bikes through the ringer and, you know, we have to manage certain things like that as well. Yeah. And like, I just, uh, my in-laws were in town over the weekend, last weekend, and they watched the race with me. And when you watch it with somebody who is not in the sport, it really opens your eyes to all the things that maybe other people don't look at. And, one variable that I think people don't really pay attention to is, you know, like they asked me the question, like, well, why are they talking like they don't know this track? Like, didn't they race here last year? I'm like, they did. But every time they prep the track, it could be a different track. Like how they prep it, how deep it is, how much water, how much sun, how much rain. There's so many things that can go into making a track, you know, different than it was last year or different than it was yesterday, different than it was from first practice to, to first moto. And so that's, you know, something that people that don't necessarily participate in the sport don't always see that kind of thing, I guess. But um, that's something that you have to be really good at adapting to and, and understanding. That's why the, the bike setup gets so tricky. Yeah, right? and, and I'll bring up Hangtown, for example, because I actually picked Jordan Smith on my my fantasy and then the next week he's like did you pick me this week and i'm like no i picked you at hangtown he's like why would you pick me at hangtown i was like i went back to the time when you almost got on the podium there he's like yeah but remember that it was supposed to rain that day so they made it flat and you know so it was totally different conditions you know so yeah he's not very good at that track i just had that in my back of my head you know so i i, I picked him you know so just kind of building off of what you said with the track conditions it can just change so much depending on how they prep it oh yeah for sure i mean Last year, Hangtown, that was my first time there. And just the difference between last year and this year was, like, insane. Just, like, there wasn't really many ruts. Like, obviously, it got ruts, but there was, like, maybe two or three in a turn instead of, like, six all the way across the turn. And it just got super choppy. And, like, I know that, like, one downhill after you have, like, that little split lane. Um, Like, I remember last year, like, that was, like, absolutely, like, massive breaking bumps coming down that hill. And this year, it was, like, an amateur day kind of. Just, yeah. like, little little ones just kind of choppy but it's just crazy how different the track can be year to year or even like lap to lap honestly so did that make its way into your suspension setup like even before the first practice like were you prepared for that i mean about last year i mean i i rode a 250 last year so i've never like had the kind of opportunity to like have a base setting i guess um i didn't really focus on it that much as an amateur and it's obviously a big part of riding pro and different tracks and whatnot um but i kind of just 
road what I had at Paula because I had a good weekend there and obviously it didn't really work at Hangtown for me I, I did change some stuff but for me honestly it was just the way I felt on the track at, at Hangtown I just wasn't comfortable and like I told I texted Brian after the race actually I was like I just didn't feel comfortable pushing that limit on that track um I couldn't find like a limit to to go to to where I felt comfortable or I wouldn't crash like I just felt and, and, uncomfortable all day and I think when you have that in the back of your head as a racer it's hard to go there right yeah You're thinking like hey it's just not working this weekend you know if I push harder am I going to even make it to next weekend yeah right? exactly so finding that balance in anything you know to, you know to maybe getting a couple extra points and a couple extra dollars you know is it really worth it you know I'm just not gelling with this track let's let's turn it around I'm not feeling like last weekend maybe it's a little setup maybe it's a little just being in you know, on the West Coast for too long, whatever it may be, you know, let's try to bring out on a better weekend next weekend and not yeah. focus too much on this weekend. Let's just get through it. Let's manage it. Obviously, let's try to build and get yeah, better. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I'm finding it enough to go where I know I need to be. Yeah, for sure. And that probably gets tougher the more successful you are because I think, I don't know, I can't speak from experience, but I would guess that pride probably plays a, a bigger role in that when you have to settle like you look back at whatever round that was where Tomac just straight up got eighth and that was a race where I mean you know that people are like what the f you know like what's what's wrong with you you straight up got eighth place but he knew I'm not comfortable with this bike and I want to make it to the next round so like I'm just going to damage control and all all you guys saying that I'm going slow can kiss my butt yeah you know because like I'm going to make it to the next round he rode to the limit he was able to ride to with that bike setup and he wasn't comfortable going past it. And it can be so many things, you know, and we talked some about like, you know, certain riders being open, you know, Eli's not open about anything. He keeps it to himself and there could have been family issues. There could have been a bad night of sleep. There could have been suspension issues. It could have been arm pump. It could have been, he had the flu, right? So there can be so many things that can contribute to that eighth place or that 10th place or that fourth place, whatever it may be that it's, doesn't matter that he lets you know he doesn't have to he just moves on to the next weekend and then tries to find a way to be better and i i mean same thing i would say yeah, for you for sure i mean after hangtown i got 14th overall at thunder valley so i mean it, it's, it doesn't take much to to flip a weekend around so so let's, let's pivot a little bit how did you get to mtf for the first time How'd you hear about us? um well my buddy used to train here his name was pete davis so he came here first and then my dad sent my brother down here, Fred, and Fred kind of tested the waters for a year and whatnot, and he said he really liked it, and he thought it would be good for me. So after my, Fred told my dad that, my dad was all for it and just he gave me a shot and sent me down here, and it was me and Fred for a little while. Was the angle, like, was the goal to be a pro? Was that the was that why he sent you, or is it just because were you a problem child and you needed a correction? Nah, I, I don't say I was a problem child. I just... I really loved riding dirt bikes and I just didn't really do well in school and I think my parents kind of thought sending me down here would would balance some things out somewhat I don't really know what their their idea was to do but um I guess my dad always saw something in me that I didn't really see at a little age um hey I can say I probably didn't <laughs> see it either <laughs> yeah but my dad definitely believed in me way before anyone else like most parents do but yeah he just sent me down here and I guess it just kind of he had an idea in his head before I did and I loved riding I just didn't really know where it was gonna go um 
basically to your question when i got down here the main goal was just to kind of make it to loretta's and and see where that went so and we and we talk about you know riders teaching us more than we could ever teach you know or know you know teach ourselves and you know you're a perfect example you know that you know when i was younger seeing you ride obviously i trained you like i would train anybody else but thinking that you would make it pro where you were at 13 no chance you know I've, I've told you this before, like I've watching you where you were at, I felt that no matter how old I got, I could take time off a bike. I could always get on a motorcycle and beat you, him, you know, just, <laughs> and I told him that, you know, I, I'm honest about things and those are things that I learn and it just teaches me so much more that, you know, you come here, you, you are a worker, you know, you, you were, weren't so much a worker, I would say right oh, away for and, sure. <laughs> and, you know, more of an excuse maker, but that's a kid, right? Um, you, you had good people around you that pushed you and then you flipped that switch that you really wanted to be a worker and you finished every moto, you showed up to every workout and, you know, I, I've, I've said it before and I don't think I can go back to anybody about your age, 13, 14 years old, that's come here and, and put their head down and worked hard that hasn't made it as a professional at some sort, you know, made main events, you know, making it is, is everybody's look at how, what it, what making it is, is, you know, different. I would say that certain people would say, Oh, well, if you didn't retire, you didn't really make it. But there's so many kids out there that just want to line up one day on a pro gate, make a main event, you know, so I would say you've definitely made it as a professional athlete, you know, whether you make a career totally out of it and you have millions of dollars or not, that to me, that's not making it, you know, making it as being able to, you know, line up, you know, in the main events, you know, you actually got a ride, you know, which is something that's very hard to do. You know, you show up, you're in under a semi, you know, that's, that's very cool. And it's something that's going to be very cool for you to be able to show your kids, you know, yeah, one day for and, sure. and show that hard work can make it in, in whatever you choose to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that goes for like, you know, when you decide to stop racing, whenever that is like the, the skills that you learned by becoming a professional athlete will carry over and they'll make you successful at whatever you decide to do. Cause it's just, it's learning how to apply yourself and, be consistent and disciplined and you know there's there's things that you will be able to do because of your experience as a pro athlete that other people won't be able to do yeah you know? I, I agree so you talk about he said at first about flipping the switch did that happen at like a specific moment for you was there like a sit down with your family and they said hey you got to get serious or we're done or was it like over time you just realized that's who you wanted to be I think it was more just myself. Um, like Brian said, I obviously wasn't the best when I first got here. And I just, I had a certain group of kids I rode with every day and I was always somewhat the slowest. And like, it didn't really bother me at first. Then over time it started bothering me. And like, you know, you get like, you get like in little like arguments or whatever, like someone's calling this head and they're faster than you and whatnot. And I guess it just started to bother me finally, and I one day I woke up and I was like, I don't want to be the slowest kid here anymore. So it just, I guess, yeah, it just flipped my head one day. And and my brother Fred was a really hard worker when he was here, and I guess that kind of rubbed off on me because I looked up him a lot when I was younger, and um, he kind of 
gave me a lot of crap when I was younger. So were you the slowest kid here? I was pretty. I think I was pretty <laughs> close to maybe the slowest. Yeah, I kid. mean, I can't go back to remembering everybody that was here, but like why I say the things you because you were pretty bad, right? You a lot of the doubles we had you didn't do, right? So it's. I don't think there was only one I didn't ah. do. No, back then we had some bigger jumps. So. Yeah, the track clearly, was a bit <laughs> clearly the way that Brian remembers this. I think his his memory is a bit far. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if I find some of these photos <laughs> and videos, I mean, I might have to just call up Big Fred and say, send some videos back from when okay. you know he was in he a def- camp. And he definitely has something doing the start, feeding that clutch, or man, you know, just, <laughs> just chicken winging it, seat bouncing to endos. You know, oh, there's gosh. some memories I have up here of old Luca. <laughs> But see, but that's so cool because then now you can go back and you can do side by side and be like, look how far I've come. And, you know, all the people that maybe watching me as a 13 year old are like, you know, or not watching because I wasn't even jumping the doubles. You know, now you're pro. Yeah, so like, for that's... sure. Yeah. And like you said, your dad saw something in you that other people didn't. And, and I think a lot of people's a lot of parents do see that because they're around you more, right? They yeah. see certain things that, you know, they know there's a chance, but ultimately it came down to you, yeah. you know, changing and saying, I really want to do it. Because if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be where you're at. You wouldn't have made a main event. You wouldn't have made it professional or got on a team, you know, if you would have slacked for maybe another year or two, you know. Yeah, and I can't sure. say slack, but, you know, just didn't give it a hundred percent. Yeah. So that choice that you made to actually go all in is the only reason why you're sitting here talking with us. Yeah. One hundred percent. One of my, my earliest memory of Luca. So I got here in 2017. I was here for the whole summer, uh, as an intern. And one day we were doing like a gym clean on a Friday and Luca rolled up late with somebody else. And so Tony put you guys in the push up position from the beginning of the gym clean until the end of the gym clean, it had to have been no less than a half hour. It was probably Marcus. I think it. I think it was Marcus. Uh, I don't know who else you would have been rolling with. It's probably um, Marcus. It was probably Marcus. But all I know is, you know, I kind of I had my hands in my pockets. I was walking around like I should say something to him because I feel bad, but also like he was late, so like I get it. But thirty minutes in the push up position, like I'm talking, you were dripping sweat, and your arms are shaking, your legs are shaking. And you were so pissed off, dude. You were so mad. I don't think I was ever late again after that, though. No, probably not. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can second that about Tony. Certain things that he would do, I'd be like, are you taking a little far? You know, you, you probably thought that at the 10-minute yeah, mark. Then it went to the 20-minute mark, and it's like, uh, these guys are going to be done. Oh, like, did he like forget said, about him? You, you know? know, and I think that... You know, just want another lesson learned that, you know, sometimes you just really have to make an example out of them if you want it to stick. If you kind of are a little lenient with them, you know, or just, you know, five minutes would have been gnarly. Ten minutes would have still been gnarly, but would you have got that same, you know, long lasting impression of if I show up at 801, (laughs) it could be a bad day. Didn't want to do that So I'm going to set that alarm for you know, I have four alarms before I'm late. Yeah. I'll run in in my underwear or something. <laughs> yeah. <I definitely laughs> when you have to, yeah, you have to hold everybody to the same standard too. Like I still, if my, my rule for the gym is if you are late, even if you're 30 seconds late, if you're late, you do 50 push-ups, and the group, everybody else in the gym does 25. And that includes like sometimes the pros warm up with the amateurs. And I still, not from Luca. Uh, man, I used to get it from Luca, but Gearhart for sure 
Gearhard will be like, Jacob, I'm not doing push-ups. I'm like, okay, then get out of the gym because everybody's to the same standard. If you were late, I would make you do push-ups along with all the amateurs again. Like, the standard is the standard. And that type of accountability is what we expect out of our youngest amateurs all the way up to our top professionals. And, like, the top professionals, they would never have to do push-ups except for when somebody else is late because they're never late. You yeah, know, and, 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 and can you imagine being a kid coming in late and then looking at you making Jordan Smith do push-ups? You'd be like, God, that guy's going to yeah. hate me forever. People you yeah. look up to, <laughs> people you're nervous to talk to, and now that you know they hate you because yeah. you're just that kid that made them do push-ups. Yeah. But so. you you have people like these guys that will actually motivate them and be like, hey, you just need to be better than that, right? Like we've all been kids. We've all been there. You know, you've been late before. Everybody's been late, so we get it. You know, you just then have to, you know, be somebody that is looked up to and, and make, you know, a good example that, hey, you're mad, but at the same time you get it, but you, you just got to be better than that yeah. as a rider, as an athlete, as a human. Who did you look up to growing up riding? I, I mean, most likely it was Smitty just because – he was like the top guy when I got here, you know, he was, he was up there pretty much every weekend. Um, I'd say him. And then how much older is he than you? He's 26. I'm 22. So he's 27, 27. So, but yeah, I'd say Smitty just cause I think he, was he amateur my first year here? 20, 20. Yeah, he was. Cause I, yeah, he was. He's probably about to turn. Yeah. It was his last year amateur, but he was just the top guy when I got here, and and I just honestly liked watching him ride just because he was a little looser back then. Yeah, um, he's still loose. He's but, still pretty loose. <laughs> but I just liked the way he rode. He just he he gave it all he had every time he was out on the track, and that just that honestly, he was kind of a part of what made me flip that switch. You know, just watching him ride and giving it a hundred percent every time he was in the gym on the track. Just anything he did. I mean, if he played knockout on the basketball court he was giving it everything he, he played had. darts with the guy you yeah. play ping pong you like it's just go shoot bb guns whatever yeah it's just know? the way he is and it honestly had a big part of my my amateur career and now my pro career i just he was a big part of just my mentality riding a lot and just anything i did and i think people <laughs> people get almost annoyed by how much we talk about jordan <laughs> because other we, than jordan other than jordan <laughs> jordan's like you guys don't you haven't even talked about me yet i'm like you clearly haven't listened to the podcast buddy but you know it, it's for good reason because he's one of the guys that just he elevates people that are around him and if you want a good look at what it looks like when you do everything right for the most part i mean there's always flaws to the to the human condition whatever you want to say but he shows up and executes everything to the best of his ability every time. And he is a role model for, for a lot of these guys, and that's why it's so easy for us to throw his name out there. You know, because we know nobody can think of any time where he's cut corners or he's, you know, made the wrong decision with bringing a heart rate monitor or doing a cycle without shoes on or just being lazy. You know, like you don't have any memories of him doing that. And I think, you know, especially the amount of teams that he's been on, you know, before he went to the teams that he, you know, now he's on star, but I can say before he went to star, there was questions about how hard of a worker is he really hurt when he says he's hurt, you know, because there are riders that, you know, 
make excuses or uh, I'm hurt, so I'm not. And they they are hurt, but yeah. not to the extent, you know. And then you get somebody like Jordan, you know, when he goes there. I think even some of those riders, whether it's Levi, you know, and and the riders that are there, you know, look up to him in a way that they're like, man, he grinds, right? Yeah. Like. I can't believe that he works as, as hard as he does every single day. And, and he brings a lot of good, positive things to, to every team that he goes to because he he works so hard. And once the team owners, team managers, and the people that are involved with him see that, you know, they love the kid, right? Because yeah. they want him to be successful. You know, bummed, obviously, when he makes bad decisions or crashes or something goes wrong and, and he's hurt. But... At the same time, you can't dislike the kid because he gives it 100%, you know, and I think if you do that as a rider, you know, same with you, and, you you know, if the people around you see that, they come and watch you, and they see how you grind, then it's, they are going to be more likely to continue to support you along the way, even when you have maybe a bad year or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the important thing is that, result results are not everything you know like you can have a year like jordan had and you know he didn't even make it on the podium when he was with firepower he had some fourths and you know he was he was doing very well but that's the year that's the building year that got him a ride on star and that just goes to show you that you want to be the hard worker because that is what guarantees success more than results like results don't guarantee future results but your attitude and the way you approach your everyday grind is what ultimately decides if you're going to be successful or not. And and how many riders go from multiple years of being factory to privateer back to... And then back yeah, to factory. Yeah. Yeah. Because most people, once they take that step down, obviously, it's not as good, right? The yeah. equipment's not as good. You're, you know, parts aren't there. You have more days off the bike, right? So most riders are used to it being a certain way and then that comes up and they just fall apart mentally physically emotionally you know so many things but yeah. or somebody like himself you know in you where you're at right now you obviously want to be factory you know so you're working working towards that you know you haven't experienced that that factory life yet which you know is obviously better because you know parts are more i wouldn't say endless but you know if your motor blows they send you a new one right so there's way more in rotation than when you're you're a privateer yeah for sure so then tell us a little bit about your personal experience you know going from all by yourself to then you got some support from deep south kawasaki and then being on rock river like what did that really change for you yeah i mean just the stress level, honestly, for me, and the mindset of just not having to worry about as much. Um, just the the Deep South thing was cool just because they, they really helped me a lot with bikes and whatnot, and it, it took a lot of stress off my dad, which kind of took stress off me. What did what, what they give you? Four bikes or something? Yeah, it's yeah. four bikes for the year. and then I remember um, when you got that deal, I was like, man, yeah, that's good. Dude, that yeah. feels like you made it yeah. at that time. I mean, you know? especially I, I think at that time, it, they if you weren't, like a factory kid you know you really weren't getting that much it was kind of like a weird time that you know for a few years that you know four bikes was a lot you know for for whatever reason it went from you know when we were younger that you know people were getting six eight ten twelve bikes and it kind of went down to you know the 
Troy Lee guys and but it was pretty cool when you got that deal I was like wow that's awesome yeah and I wasn't like that wasn't really even like the best part of my amateur career either so I was like really like shocked when I got that too um but yeah that was cool and then I had really good really good results on Cowie my last two years I actually um almost won a title at Loretta's and then after Loretta's um the NSA Rocker Yamaha team picked me up and I had a pretty good year going my last A class year and just like I said, it's just it was that was a really good team. We had a semi at the races and had good parts, and the bike motors were really good. So it was just a stress stress factor for me. I and just had a lot more confidence, like with my bike underneath me and my setup and everything. Um, and then that led to to the Rock River uh, professional team, which is basically the same thing, just semi on the weekends, and it's just less stress. Like I show up and my bike's ready to go, right? Like I don't have to do anything. I just gotta show up and, and and do my job so it's it's cool and it's just a stress factor for me honestly yeah i mean i was never a factory guy but i was never like a full privateer guy either right they got riders that had to show up in the van yeah. and, you know have their own mechanic you know i'm i was more where where you're at i had you know when i started with star we weren't in a semi but we got a semi right right away after that and you know pretty much had a semi that i rode for the entire time until i decided not to race anymore and that's uh, i mean that's a big deal like yeah you know just having to get on a flight show up you know get in a rental car go to the race you know and everything's there for you your gear's there you know other than you know making sure you have your knee braces and things like that but a lot of stuff is done for you so when you're on the other end of that that's a lot of stress you know we're like a tj or marcus yeah you know, those guys, and when you're doing outdoors, that's a lot more going on for you as a rider, as an athlete to try to manage. And whether, like you said, stress, you know, it's a lot more stressful. Yeah, it just takes a lot off your plate, and you can just focus, for me anyway, solely on just riding and, like, analyzing everything and not just having to worry about, like, hey, I got to drive X amount of hours to get to the next race. I'm going to leave this day or whatever and make sure you have all your parts and everything. So it's just a big stress relief. Yeah. And it just allows you to show up and, and save all your mental bandwidth for the racing, the racing and the practicing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that's huge getting support. Um, tell me more about like the behind the scenes stuff, like whatever you can share. Obviously don't, don't dive into secrets and things you're not supposed to talk about, but is it, how much of it is based on results? Are they only keeping you around because you're doing well, or are they keeping you around because they like you as a person? I mean, or what got it? What got you it in the first place? I think just for my rookie year, I think I had a pretty good amateur A class year, so that kind of helped me. Um, but I know uh, Bobby Fisher is our team manager, and and then Mike Duclos is the team owner, obviously. And I, I mean, I want to say they like me. I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but. I think that helped me a lot and um and then yeah I just want to say that I had good results my last two years amateur and I didn't have the best luck my rookie season or not I shouldn't say luck I didn't have the best results my rookie season but I showed some signs of success so I think that helped me and it's not a factory team so they're not giving a salary or anything so it's not like they really have anything to to gain or lose by signing me I feel like I don't know if that's the right way to word it but um yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say that would be the best way because there's a lot like you said a lot still goes into it right making sure bikes parts so to have a rider on a team is is a lot of money you know and 
there's probably, you know, if you go just, you know, off your results. So I would say there has to, you know, you are saying you think they like you. I would say even not knowing them, they like you, right? Yeah. Because you're in a place that if I looked at your results last year, I could probably pick a few guys that, that I could put in front of you. Yeah, for right? sure. The reason they didn't do that is because of who you are as a person, right? And I hear it all the time from people. Why did he get this? Or why did that rider get that? You know, when this rider's better, a lot of times it has to do with them as a person, right? How they act, how they communicate, how thankful they are, you know, going up to the, going out of their way to, to talk to people, right? There's so many, so much more than just results. And sometimes people looking from the outside, looking in, think it's all about results, but there's many more factors that go into somebody having a rider continuing to build with somebody. You know, you, you talk about the triumph team that's about to start and, you know, I heard Jalik's going there and, and Red Dog, you know, is going to go there. And people are like, why is he getting that? You know, and the group of people that run that, you know, Hewitt and 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 Scuba, they're big believers on the people that are involved in how they are as people. And they want to help that person get to where they, yeah. they know they can, even if they've had a few bad years that haven't had the results. They've seen them as, as athletes perform at a top level and know that they're workers and they they're very invested and i think for you guys you know it takes a few years you know you're still in a way a rookie right so if they see that you know you know you you get in the 14th then you get in the 10th then you become a top five guy right so a lot of riders aren't able to stay in it long enough to really you know shine and and show what they are capable of doing because it's hard right financially physically mentally there's so many things that that go into being an ath- professional athlete especially in motocross and supercross you know financially i would say that you get to a point that you're like i'm 19 i'm 20 you know i, I gotta move on with my life you know i've done it for two years but two years in the professional isn't very long you yeah know? so you know you get you build one year then you get you know get a little bit more momentum then all of a sudden now you're making a salary might not be a huge salary but you're getting to actually a place that you can maybe support yourself and you know pay for pay for more on your own and yeah. not depend so much on your parents but you you need a good a good platform or a good should i say you know family behind you at for, for a little while when you're at a place that you're yeah, at right now. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at is just the fact that, like how we talked about Tiger making that phone call to his sponsor, you know, and people look at it like, oh, a team picked me up. But at that team, there is an individual with feelings that makes decisions based on what they see. And a lot of our decision-making, whether or not we admit it, we make decisions based on emotion, and then we try to justify it with logic. So... You know, to put that into perspective, it would be, I like Luca. He he feels like a hard worker. He feels like someone who's not going to quit and someone that can work well with the team. That's an emotional thing. You you have a gut feeling about him, and then you try to justify. And like he had a good A class year, and, and he's someone who shows signs of you know potential, someone we could build with. And, and he had this race that was good, or yeah, that race like, that you know. You start to justify things with the logic around it, but. It still is, at the end of the day, it's a a human-to-human connection. And the more you can use that to your advantage, uh, the more successful you're going to be, just with the people you surround yourself with. Especially when you have tough times, which everybody knows this sport brings tough times, right? From the injuries, the results, you know, from amateur to 
um, professional is probably the toughest one. And that's why you see so many of the kids in the last five years that have been, he's the next guy. He's a Troy Lee kid. He's a Husky kid. He's a PC, whatever it may be. And they are in it for a few years and they just, it, they don't make it. And I think, you know, some of them, I, I could say that I think if they were, you know, not as much of a finger pointer maybe and really worked with the team a little bit better, they probably would still have rides and probably still be, you know, building with the, the, the team because they would know they would get better, you know, but it's easy to, to be a finger pointer and, and not want to blame yourself and, and really work with somebody to get to where you want to be. Yeah, for sure. I agree. So we talk a little bit about obviously like the relationships within the team and you talked about your brother being here first and how your dad saw something. Like I've met your dad. He's a very passionate dude. I don't think I've ever heard anybody yell that loud at Loretta's before. I mean, he was like top half hanging over the fence. I think he was yelling at the officials too or, you know, or something. I don't know. He's he's a passionate guy. He believes in you, obviously, and like he likes to fight for you yeah. and help any way that he can. Um, obviously, family is very important. Are they still really supportive? Like they still, you know, like we're all in with you. Yeah, I mean, it's only been that since I've came here. You know, like I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for my dad. Like, I mean, just every year he he gives me everything he has and same with my both my brothers and and my mom you know like i wouldn't be still racing today if it wasn't for them because they my dad works every day you know he's st he still works and he's grinding when i'm grinding so i i mean he gives me everything he has and i i try to give it back so i can get those results on the weekends oh if you see his brother at the races fred yeah, my fred is like a carbon copy of my dad even though he doesn't look like it but they he's have like the same energy too, so like yeah He'll be on this side cheering him on. Dude, he's running dude, laps around the track. Full I know. Sprint. Yeah. He's getting to the other side before he gets there just so he can give him the, let's go. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's – and yeah. Fred's been coming to the races with me on the weekends, you know. So, I mean, he definitely shows me some some tough love. Like, he was not happy after practice after uh, at Thunder Rally. So, but – They got just, to, right? They yeah. believe in you. They know you can do better, and they're going to get – they're they're your family. They, they want you to do good and – Sometimes that tough love is what's needed. Oh, you know? for sure, and they've can't, and you can't you sugarcoat it. Yeah, and they've yeah. seen what I what I've what I've done and what I'm capable of. So I mean, I'd rather have them give it to me straight, like Brian does on a day to day basis, just so I know. But um, yeah, I mean we yeah, because he like when he's not having a good day, he likes to pow. I've gotten better with yeah, that. Yeah, you have gotten a lot better, right? He's and, gotten better, and you used know, to be I, yeah, and yeah. that's never been tolerated for me or yeah. me growing up, right? So pouting isn't changing the results right either change it you know and yeah i know you're not happy with it but you have to change that i can't yeah. change it for you pouting and being in a bad mood and you know being all grumpy isn't doing anything for anybody around you right and it's not doing anything for yourself you yeah know? so for sure you have gotten a lot better with that and, and your results are going to follow too because you can actually rationalize what's going on and try to build and try to be better and sometimes it's not going to be better yeah. you know that's life though right sometimes your day isn't going to be great but you have to get through it right? yeah for and sure and you you you, tr you know in a business aspect you can't let everybody know you're having a bad day you know like n nobody cares that you got a bad night of sleep no. nobody, nobody cares, cares. No. no they don't want you walking around all you know imagine every day you had a bad day or got a bad night of sleep now with a baby you came in super grumpy and everybody saw that hasn't happened I know that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't be tolerated you'd probably have a sit down with Colleen you know and she'd be like well, dude what are you doing yeah no gym today because yeah. I got three hours of sleep <laughs> you know I 
<laughs> yeah, it's definitely not tolerated. Yeah, and I think um, I'm going to like bring Adam up again since we're all just because he's been through so many gnarly injuries, you know, and he was that top guy. Like, um, And that's like, I think I look up to him a lot, even though I race him still, or I now race him. Um, but he just, he's so open and just like, if he has a bad day, he'll like, he'll admit it. Like he wasn't on or it was this or it was that. And he's just so positive. And I think I struggled with that a lot, like through my amateur career and even like my rookie season pro. And now that I'm getting away from that and, and just being positive, even if I have a bad moto or a weekend or just a day at MTF, like it's just helped me have a clear head going into the next day or next moto. And obviously like, my results are getting a little bit better each weekend and I feel better and I feel more confident. So just listening to Adam and, and kind of trying to be like that for me is, is helpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, bringing up Adam, he's very good. He's very open. And, you know, some people are like, well, he makes millions of dollars, so it's easy to be positive. Right. So, but it, the money doesn't matter. Right. Because no, even he wants to win. Yeah. He wants to win. He wants to be successful. That's what, what he wants. He doesn't care that, I mean, obviously cares, right? It's nice to be able to pay your bills. Everybody wants to pay your bills, but you look at where you're at, your bills are paid, right? You're supported by your family. So you're not really in that much of a different place other than yeah. you might not have millions of dollars in your bank account, but you still can eat. You yeah. still, you know, there you're still in a good place, right? So you're feeling a lot of the same stuff he is just at, at a different level. I think sometimes people put the money behind it and make that like, that's the reason it's okay. But I don't think it has as much to do with, you know, that, you know, from from a personal standpoint. Yeah. And he's won so long, like throughout his whole amateur career and then even his first years on 250 and has a championship. So he and, wants to get back to that. Yeah, and it's, you know, people are still supporting him. But at the same time, you know, it in, in a way, you know, the people that are paying him, the people that are supporting him, his mechanics, his team owners. Right. Like he has it's I wouldn't say embarrassing but it hurts to make a phone call that you know hey guys i broke my leg again hey guys my wrist is broke yeah you know that's that's a hard phone call to make you know when there's so much into you as a rider you know even where you're at yeah right and and you have sponsors you have people that are investing in you you know whether it's six figures whether it's you know just bikes whether it's gear whatever level it's hard to let those people down you know taking the money out of it yeah for sure yeah and the money the money is a byproduct of success like it's not the goal like adam was very open about especially through his amateur career you know he was aware of the financial burden but it wasn't like all he could think about you know he thought it was cool to get support he thought it was cool to get bikes but he had no interest in money like he loved getting bikes and getting to ride to cool places and you know, if the bike started showing up where he was going, then that's also a bonus. Like he, it, it takes things off your plate, but you have to like, I think he's really good at enjoying the process because you, you have to be happy where you are while still striving for where you want to be. Right. And sometimes the thing that we want, this is something I was just uh, on my run this morning. I was listening to a podcast and, and a guy named Alex Ramosi and, uh, Oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking on the other guy's name. It, w- it was a podcast with Alex Ramosi, and, and they were talking about the thing that you want is often what we sacrifice for what's supposed to get it for us. So we think, I want to be happy. The way that I'm going to be happy is I'm going to be really successful. But in the process of becoming successful, 
you destroy your own happiness, right? You just grind for years and you never reach the goals that you want to reach. And, and even if you are successful, your day-to-day life of being successful maybe is not actually what brings you any happiness. So I think just being aware of that, I think that's one thing that Adam's really good at, that if he bases his happiness off of his race results, he would be miserable because he knows he can win. He knows he's fast enough and he knows that he has the right equipment and he's, he's put in the time and effort his whole amateur career to now go and be successful and then be happy. But he had to choose to be happy regardless of the racing success. And he finds success, you know, in, in other parts of his life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, trust I mean, the process. I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I can relate to it, you know, from the time, you know, I chose to stop racing from, you know, when I was amateur and I broke my neck and my back the first time and it, you know, totally brought me down and, you know, probably contributed to maybe not having the success in the sport that I, I maybe could have if, if that didn't happen. But at the same time, it's made me also appreciate life so so much you know even my wife a lot of times is like man you don't even seem like you care you get down I'm like well what am I going to be down on you know I have a great family I have a nice house you know I drive well not right now I don't have (laughs) the nicest truck because I crashed mine but you know I mean we can go out to eat when we want you know I'm healthy you know there's so many positives when you look around the world and there's so many things out there that people are thrown at that are actually really gnarly things you know i i can walk you know i broke my back twice you know i know people that are in wheelchairs so there's so many positives for myself that outweigh the negatives whether you know beyond like i said the the money yeah you know i could take what i have and downgrade you know so many levels and still i feel be happy and be grateful for for what i what i would have yeah even all these top guys that are, are having kids, you know, I'm, I'm a new dad. I have a nine month old right now and I can promise you, I'm not hitting the same size jumps that those guys are. And I'm not going as fast as they are. Uh, but on the way to the track, usually the last thing I think about is my baby is, you know, when, when you say bye to the wife and the kid and you head to the track, knowing that you're taking on so much risk, it, it absolutely weighs on you. It makes you rethink, you know, do I really want to ride? Yeah. And- Colleen brings that up a lot of times too, you know, that when they, she thinks it changes them when, when they do have kids, but obviously there's plenty of people that have riders that have kids that are very successful. <laughs> Look at RJ. Um, you got elev- two daughters. elevates them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sometimes, but I think too, you know, it, it makes people like a Villapoto or Dungy that have done enough mm-hmm. be ready to be done, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I could go another five years, another 10 years and make a lot of money. Right. But at the same time, I may be, you know, and I, I can't, I, I'm speaking out loud. I don't know, you know, I'm kind of speculating, but like you said, even at your level. So when you take that to another level that you're doing it every single day, the risk obviously goes up and, yeah. and, and you have to send it, you know, if they've, the, if everybody in the field's hitting a quad and that's yeah. like a full second difference, I better send the quad, yeah, you yeah. know, and you're and, competitive, right? They're competitive. Yeah. So you, you sometimes you can't put, just settle, yeah, yeah. you know, that's why I give Jordan also a lot of props. Cause I know that he's, he also has, uh, she's almost eight months old, uh, but he's in the same boat, you know, and it's, I know it's a new it set of challenges. It won't be long. Luke is coming up. Oh, let's not say that. <laughs> thought you already had a kid. <laughs> no, <laughs> if you count Lori. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, see, I, old, it, old ladies moving down though. Yeah. When after outdoors, 
See, that's first step. Then there's going to yeah. be a ring. Then there's going to be... Results start I going mean, down because do life's podcast, good. If we do a podcast this time... Uh, next, uh, next year, no, I'll go. If we did in a year and a half, I bet there's for sure a ring. There might even be a kid on the way. Let's hope it's just a ring. <laughs> it's so crazy, all the relationships that come out of motocross. Like to, to think how long you guys have been doing the long distance thing, I can't even imagine. But like it's, you know, I think everybody that races, they either met their girlfriend or fiance or wife at the track. And you guys all do the long distance thing because, like, you meet at big races where you all travel, you know, because you're from where and she's from where? I'm from Connecticut. She's from Minnesota. So, yeah. How long is that drive? Like 15 hours? I honestly don't know. Long. Hey. Long. I've lived here for, he's I'm basically, fl- he, he only gets in the airplane. Yeah. He, yeah. He's not a driver. I basically guy. lived here, though. So, I've, I mean, yeah, but it's tough. She usually comes here. Yeah. She always yeah. comes here. I never go there, which is awesome. Yeah. So, do you have any, like, favorite memories of training with mtf or like crazy shit these guys asked you to do or you know i mean maybe the legal ones like don't tell us like the i don't know like if brian's really asked me to do anything crazy i think uh, colleen no i mean yeah i'm not a yeah. crazy guy i mean like the scariest thing maybe is like maybe hitting whoops with my eyes closed i think that was probably yeah i'd scary. say that's pretty what are you talking about he's never asked you to do oh, anything. that was probably oh colleen. that was colleen no yeah, that was yeah. you oh <laughs> yeah i don't ask him to do anything scary they weren't that big though so it was fine but i mean Still, like he wouldn't ask hey, me to you do know it he if... was like this though no i will i mean yeah, the first the first time though and then like oh, boy, your eyes weren't closed yeah they were they were i promise but yeah i mean i don't really think there's been anything like like absolutely insane that they've asked me to do i mean colleen says some stuff here and there but it's not like she has, says it for a reason i mean yeah I mean, she's a big believer, and she's taught me so much that, you know, it's impossible until somebody does it, right? Yeah. So, and she'll stand by it. And if you argue that you can't do it, she'll just say, or that it can't be done, she'll just say, somebody can do it. And, you know, I mean, it, you can go 10 years ago, what people talked about wouldn't be done, you know, 20 years ago, and everything that is happening today, you know, 20 years ago, you look at it, and it's just crazy from, you know, whether it's, how fast they go around a supercross track you know whether or a triple backflip that they do on a motorcycle right it's it's just you know if you bring this a triple backflip up 20 years ago you'd be like yeah right yeah (laughs) i mean i remember this is like i think maybe two years ago three years ago when remember we were watching marty on supercross and i was like just like he was absolutely killing the whoops i looked at you i was like like, I don't understand how that's possible. And then, like, <laughs> I mean, like, I've ridden Supercross for two years now. And, like, obviously, I don't think I've ever felt that speed in well, When he was on 450? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember, he was just coming out of that bull turn, and he was just freaking, Dude. it was insane. But I've probably never felt that speed in whoops, but I've I've felt speed in whoops. And it just, like, it simplifies it somewhat. And, like, you're like, okay, like, it seems possible now. But, I mean, that's you, just, like, you, a little. If you had video of myself and Marty you know, going through whoops when we were, you know, rookies, you yeah. look pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Davey that literally would be like, you saw Marty just, yeah. you know, that's what he was from a rookie, you know, and, but then Marty eventually got there yeah. right? every year better this year. Than oh, you way, were last better, year, way better, way better. And next year you're going to be at a totally different level. Right. Yeah. And that's the, 
where that consistency and staying in it for a little bit of time, you know, every year you get a little bit better and better, you know, and confidence and understanding that, Hey, if I go faster, they're easier, right? Oh, definitely. When you see Marty and he gets a little sketchy, it looks sketchy, but he's going so fast. The bike wants to go straight, right? You know, and yes, he's crashing them, but. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like you crashed and I'm going slow, right? Like, so, I, and, like yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I told you after round one of East Coast this year, I was like, like I rode good everywhere else, but I was like in the whoops, I was so scared, and and then after that weekend, I was like, I just told myself, I was like, I'm either gonna crash in in the whoops this weekend, or I'm I'm gonna make the main, and I mean, I made the main that weekend, but yeah, and sometimes you're still gonna crash. It's part yeah. of learning because you're gonna react the wrong way, you know. But at least do it going fast right? less chance less chance of <laughs> yeah, it too i mean yeah. and it's hard it's easier said than done yeah right but i've been there right i've crashed i've you know i broke my wrist the first day on supercross and whoops you know, so and then i've crashed many more times in them you know but actually when i was getting towards the end and started working with people i would actually get on a motorcycle and be better in the whoops because i understood it even at a totally different level yeah and, like, why do I want to put myself in that situation at more risk to crash? Exactly. I definitely had some big ones this year. Made Look at you now. <laughs> still healthy, still still fighting. Yeah. Speaking to your transition from rookie season to, you know, then sophomore season, we'll call it. I remember, like, there's certain things that you can't ignore and that you can't fake. And that's like, you know, for me, it was just like a a gut feeling or an emotional reaction to watching you ride last year as a rookie and just watching you ride it. I always had the gut feeling like, Oh, I'm, I'm watching a rookie. I'm watching somebody trying to figure it out. I mean, I'm a little bit nervous watching him. I'm nervous watching him go through the whoops. You know, I'm nervous watching you hit stadium triples and you know, it's just, you're, you feel like you're watching somebody who's still learning. Cause obviously you were, but then you fast forward to this year and it was just, you were just another one of the Supercross guys. You know, can you speak some to that transition? Like, was it all confidence? I mean, obviously, just more experience is always better. But you made a big jump from last year to this year. And, I mean, do you just attribute that to, to just seat time? I mean, yeah, with, without a doubt. I mean, the more you ride something, the more you're going to get comfortable, right? Um, but, I mean, a lot of it has to go to to Lil Brian and Colleen, right? They've taught me all I need to, to know to be safe and to – to ride a super cross track and um i mean yeah it just builds my confidence and the more i ride something the the more confident i feel the more safe i feel and like we worked whoops a lot this year right and like i told like that was my biggest thing is like i wanted to to not be scared in whoops anymore and obviously like you still get nervous here and there but like i didn't have the best super cross year this year but like one thing i will say that I was really happy with was my whoops this year. Like I went into every round of Supercross this year, and like I was, I was, I wanted big whoops. Like, like when they weren't that big, I was kind of bummed because it helped me. And I'm not the best guy in the whoops, obviously, but it, I was confident enough to to hit them. And yeah, I mean, just seat time and and what Brian tells me every day, and we practice enough stuff to where I feel safe and confident. And I'm gonna have sketchy moments, and I'm gonna crash, but just the seat time and the experience that I learned from racing a full year of supercross and outdoors last year, just translated into to this year. That's awesome. I mean, getting to the point where you're not nervous, I mean, I don't think you'll ever really never be nervous. Cause if you're not nervous, it, you know, you don't care enough yeah. or you don't, 
you don't see the the value in in the preparation you put in or whatever you want to say. Um, that's one thing that that's one of the main reasons that I ride is I just I even told this to Brian in the office the other day when I was gearing up. Like I still get nervous just to come out here and spin laps by myself on a practice track. Like not like riding by myself. There are other people riding, but I'm not even racing. I'm nervous to practice, and like that's a problem. You know, I'm like I want practice. <laughs> practice. <laughs> I didn't know that was such a big thing until it showed up in Ted Lasso, yeah. that whole practice speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I went back and watched the real thing, and I didn't understand it at first, but now I do. It's funny. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just, and, I think it's a cool thing to strive for. And you talking about getting comfortable on, on Supercross, you know, I know you see it, how much more we put the amateurs on it now, you know? Yeah. Because I think even you coming up, you got, maybe you got out there a little bit, but not very. Never, yeah. like really. Yeah, here and there. And we're putting the riders out there a lot more now, you know, just because that time, even doubling the whoops and being in the whoops, they're, it's not just going to be such an unfamiliar place when, yeah. when they get there, right? Already doing triples, you know, and hitting finish lines. And next year the track will be different. So they get on another super cross yeah. track and they get on another super cross track. So by the time they go pro, they've seen, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight super crosses, you know, maybe not at the level that, that they have to once they start riding it, you know, because they can't they are on outdoor suspension but they still start doing the rhythms and things like that and even some of the kids that i would say have no business out there at the time you know they're just still gain confidence and you know hitting a little double in in a rhythm still you know puts them in a place that they're like man that's so so much fun and just builds confidence you know and if they ever do get there it's going to be so valuable to them that they've had that much time on the bike or, or on that on tracks like that yeah for sure it definitely helps so being in the 450 class right now racing guys like jet cooper and adam you know there are a lot of big names like do you how do you view a guy like jet when you see what he's doing go ahead i mean i respect him for sure he's really good on a dirt bike i mean he he's just i mean he's just hands down i think the best guy right now and i think anyone would agree um but I really don't like look at him when I go to the track, you know, I look at kind of like the group in front of me. Um, but I mean, it's cool racing those guys. I mean, I never thought I'd actually race like Cooper Weber or Adamson's rule. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's cool and I respect those guys for sure. But I mean, I, it'd be cool to beat them and be up there with them. And that's kind of what I'm shooting for. So I mean, it's got to keep you hungry. Cause I mean, they all start, you know, like I said, when you go pro, you go from being the top to the bottom. And, like, you look at a guy like Cooper, he did not have the Cinderella story start to a pro career. You know, or in the 450 class, I should say. He was very good on 250. When he went to the 450, people thought he was done. I mean, his first round, he got, like, what, 12th straight up? And people were picking him for the win. Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he was on Yamaha? Yeah. Yeah. Just didn't didn't gel. And I remember when we were having conversations about him going to KTM. And I was like, eh, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's working out for him, you know. And I know people that even up until round one we're watching him and on the ktm and it's like well it didn't help him that much because i heard osborne and some other guys were just literally destroying him at the practice track and then he was the the champion that year but i i, I know he was like that on on star on 250s as well you know a lot of times he was the worst guy at the practice track and he literally would show up and destroy He's everybody a dog. he yeah. knows how to dig <laughs> Yeah, so he and he just didn't care. That's what you know. Whether it's just he, 
he's just that much better when the track's gnarly, whatever it is, you know, he elevates when it comes yeah. race time. His race, his race craft is just unmatched, I think. But and you've practiced with those guys a little bit, right? Like you went down. What was it called when you went down there? 87 compound or was it the next uh, we went to 83 83 um, for supercross last year for a day we went me yeah and the pros and then you went to sandbox yeah i went to sandbox this year we rode with kenny a little bit and joey so that was good when you watch those guys practice i mean is it is it any different to, to the way that you practice i mean nowadays no just because i've been around like the jordan smiths and the justin coopers and whatnot so i mean when i watch them ride i Definitely try and analyze what they do, but it's just, for me, it's just another guy riding a super cross track just because I'm so used to it now, I guess. When you watch them by themselves without any reference point, like you watch any factory guy and you're going to think, dude, that guy's ripping, you know, but then you put him with another factory guy and you're like, he's a second off the pace, you know, or there's definitely levels to the game. Um, but I, th- I think that people assume like with Kenny coming out and almost knocked my mic over. With Kenny coming out and rolling off the couch and going 2-2, I mean, he didn't actually get second place, but he should have because, you know, it died and the old Kickstarter, he couldn't get it running again. But he was running good enough to go 2-2 behind Jet. And people think that, like, well, he trains so lazy or he doesn't train at all. He does the absolute minimum. He rides one day a week. You know, like, the rumors are crazy. And maybe there's some truth to him, but you still have to put in the work to, to be able to have that privilege to not ride four days a week. You know, like if they have to take a week off, it's not detrimental because they've put so many weeks in, in preparation. So that's kind of why I ask if you see any difference in the way they practice, they, they still come out and they still put in their laps. And the people that watch the sport sometimes create some crazy narratives. And, you know, for people to think that Ken is not in shape and he just rolled off the couch, I mean, maybe he definitely hasn't been doing thirties, but that's also, why Jet knew he was going to get him at the end, right? We talked about that. Because he, he has the awareness to think, Kenny's going to be good, his speed's going to be there, but is he going to be able to do a 30 plus 2 Most twice? likely at 20, 25 minutes, there's going to be some level of fatigue, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to Especially expect track that. Like it's, that. It's not going to demand a 30 plus 2 effort at World Supercross. It's just not. So there's no way he's doing that in preparation. Yeah. But then so you he's look an athlete. at Kenny's so good at those conditions that you can't, you know, discredit him either, you know, and he might still be gnarly, tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I, Jet, but Jet's in the same place, right? So, I think just the vibe that I'm getting just from hearing AC talk and, and not so much Cooper. Cooper seems pretty happy. I think that when Jet came out and started winning, I think people were not too surprised. But now to see that he's on an eight-moto win streak, I think the other guys are starting to get a little bit bothered by it. Yeah, the, I, think, I think more people thought he would be good but there would be some sort of struggle you know which there hasn't been yeah i mean i like me and tj were talking about it just um before paula and i was just like i mean i I picked him for the title but i i didn't think he was gonna have i didn't think he was gonna have eight straight moto wins you know i thought he'd make some maybe a little mistake or something just because it's a different bike and whatnot but i mean he's just that good where he knows he can win I pretty much no matter what I think. Yeah, and I remember when we were doing the podcast talking about him and Chase and you know, you were saying maybe three wins or three moto wins or something and you know, I brought up if Chase isn't there, you could be looking at the the champion, you know. Yeah. As soon as Chase wasn't there, 
they already started talking about, you know, could he do a perfect season? Yeah. You know, but like even hearing AC talk about it, he's like, Jets kind of starting to make us look like fools. The fact that none of us have been able to elevate to even pass him, you know, like this weekend was the first time anybody else has led a lap, not let alone like the whole race, a lap. Yeah. Not who has won, but who has led a single lap. I mean, Jets been in the lead after the first turn or the second turn every race. And so the fact that nobody is able to elevate and he was going up to him for literally a perfect season, every yeah. fast lap, every lap led. Yeah, like yeah. I think high point was the first time he struggled in practice. Yeah. Like he tipped yeah. over a couple times, but yeah, I mean it's the confidence that kid's getting and the lack of confidence everybody else is getting. It's he a just weird makes time. it like easy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He does. Some people have that, and he's not the only one. You know, if everybody else was in their in their true best form. Like, I do think Chase would be making him uncomfortable. I think oh, Eli yeah, would have made him sure. uncomfortable. Oh, definitely. That's the whole reason. Like, you know, it's it's sad that he couldn't get another Supercross title, but that's why I was so upset about him not racing outdoors is because I knew that this was going to be our situation. You know, if anything happens to Chase, which Chase crashes a lot for better or for worse, you know. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys, right? Um, Anderson's not out there. Barsha's not out there. There's a lot of guys that would – try to rattle his cage a little bit more that that aren't out there you know so the less of those riders that are out there the harder it is yeah or, you know for that to happen yep cool well we've been talking for about an hour and 13 minutes you guys have anything else that you want to talk about anything that we haven't shared anything mtf related I, mean, I feel like we could talk forever. I mean, I have so many more questions, but in the interest of time, I want to be respectful of your guys' time and also just episodes around an hour tend to do better yeah, than it's, the It's nice hour to just be able podcast. to show up and have all this stuff set up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I spent a half hour trying to get all the lighting and the camera and the mic set up and, and all the audio equipment synchronized. And I was like apologizing for it because I'm like, hey, sorry, it's just taking me a minute to get this. You know, there's a lot to set up. And they're like, oh, we're good. We're just we're yeah. Just well, here. I made fun of him because he like talked to us like it's our first time meeting, and he's like, I don't know you. That yeah, well. we spend almost every day together, <laughs> interact every day, you know. So it's not a big deal to us. And he's talking to us like we're just first time being around each other. Like yeah, like Adam on the show yeah, or yeah. something. <laughs> no, I've got Luca Marcellisi. Dude, I was nervous for this podcast. Oh yeah, is it Marcellisi? I don't know. They say it, it different. Every, yeah. They say it different every weekend. Yeah, so. they, who? What, what was your dad that freaked out the one time? It's Marcellisi. <laughs> <laughs> was that when he was on the ladder at, yeah. at New yeah. Year's? <laughs> yeah, your dad's funny. Yeah, they say it different every weekend. <clears throat> Marsali. You gotta bring the nickname back. I think I get the nickname at the races still from the uh, Megawatt. Yeah. What is it? The Hitman. Oh. Yeah. See, I've always liked that. I think that's cool. Trying to get FXR to get me a butt patch. Be nice. Yeah, that'd be cool. We'll see. Get them framed. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, if you guys ride dirt bikes and you don't want to be as tired when you do, you guys should sign up for our online training. We have a program for everybody, whether you're trying to race professionally or if you're just a weekend warrior or you ride recreationally. Um, being strong is never a weakness. Being in shape is never going to hold you back. Um, so if you ride dirt bikes, you should be training. It'll make you have more fun. You get more out of your training. And we have programs to, to be a solution to your problem. MTFMX.com. MTFMX.com. Link in our bio. Yep. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the MX Mastery Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening on. This helps the podcast find other people that are just as passionate about moto as we are. I'll see you guys in the next episode.